Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy here with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. And today I am joined by our special guest, Nadia Masri, CEO and co-founder of Perksy. Welcome, Nadia. Thanks so much for having me, Lenny. Glad to be here today. So for the audience, you know, it's always fun when we do these shows because there's a pre-show and then there's a show. And Nadia and I have been cracking each other up. Well, she's been <laughs> cracking me up, really. I don't know if I've been funny, but she's funny as, as I'll get out. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. We'll see if we can still capture some of that humor in this, in this conversation. Uh, <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> I think you're a natural. <laughs> so for those who are not familiar with you and with Perksy, let's go ahead and kind of get the, the basics out of the way. So tell us about yourself, your background, and about Perksy. Yeah, absolutely. So tell you about myself. I started my first company when I was 17 in Toronto. I was born and raised there, so I'm I'm Canadian. It was it was like a local business. I started a, a painting company, and that was in my first year of college. And that led me to start my second company at 19. And I started that in New York. I co-founded a third at 23 back in Toronto. And then after that, I decided to go back to school. So I started studying uh, psychology at Harvard, and then from there. I left early once I came up with the concept of, of Perksy and then moved from Boston to San Francisco to start building out the dream. Uh, so, so Perksy became, you know, lucky number four, which is actually great because four is my favorite number. And it has been ever since I was a kid, which is very, very important. I, I love the number four and the rest has sort of, sort of been history from there. I I feel like now I identify, I used to identify as sort of a, a serial entrepreneur. And now I just identify as the founder and CEO of Perksy. Very cool. There, I, we won't go down this path when we see each other again. Yeah, I founded my first company at, at 12, uh, mowing grass and went no through that way. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And and I did, wow. did, a, I did a coffee house when I was 21 and, and you know, like had slept that on the floor. Cool. I couldn't afford, yes, I lock off to make any money. So I, I literally <laughs> slept on the floor because I couldn't afford to pay rent. So adventures in early, <laughs> in early that's entrepreneurship. That's, you know, you know, Lenny, that's, that's like the real entrepreneurial story. So I feel like, you know, whenever I do these intros, so when I get intros that are written for me, it's like Nadia Masri headlined the Forbes 30 under 30 list for marketing and advertising. Like, you know, this advisory board, that advisory board, she's got a TEDx talk. And then people are like, wow, that sounds so cool. And I'm like, yeah, but, and it is. And of course, you know, so, so proud of all of those, those awesome things, but the real entrepreneurial journey is the nitty gritty. That's sort of in between. It's everything that's in between. Yes. Yeah. It's the, the well, eating ramen like noodles, sleeping on the floor, uh, because you know, you're, <laughs> everything's going into the business. Yes, it's the, the agony and the ecstasy uh, yes. of that entire process. But as you said, it's lucky number four. So let's talk a little bit yes. about Perksy, though. Yeah. So 
because it's a unique approach. To, so when I think of Perksy, I think of in the broad category of kind of the sample industry, but with a very different approach. Uh, and rather than me trying to spoil it, why don't you you tell us? Sure. So Perksy is a next-gen consumer insights platform. We power real-time research with everyday consumers, and we do that through this immersive and gamified mobile app that rewards consumers for their participation. So, you know, I think what makes us very, very unique is really on the mobile side. So how we really address the consumer experience. That's actually where we have our intellectual property registered. So where we have our patents. And I'm really excited because our, our patents were pending until until January. So now, now I get to actually say I have patents, which is cool. I feel like, you know, I'm like, cool, we're inventors. <laughs> but the the best part about it is is really that it doesn't feel like a survey. That's the most common piece of feedback we actually hear from our audience. We're told, like, they'll say to us, it's this fun thing you like doing without really knowing why. So users download the app, they answer these gamified interactive questions from brands in a format called Stacks. So we never use the word survey. It's like, you know, an uncool word uh, for consumers, especially the younger ones. <laughs> you know, they, they don't want to say they're participating in, in, in survey research. They... They want to say something fun and kitschy, so um, we came up with stacks, and that's that's our that's our, our word. And for every stack that they answer, they can collect points, which they then redeem at over a hundred participating retailers like uh, Nike, Nordstroms, Fora, Delta Airlines, Whole Foods, etc. I think what really differentiates us is in the quality of the responses. So when you are able, when people are having a good time, they're more engaged. So, for example you know, we're going to have a great time on this podcast because before this podcast even started, we had a great time. So we, we just, we just had fun. And I think, and this is something I think we're going to talk about a little bit later in this podcast, but just when you are able to really have fun in any activity that you're addressing, whether it's in, in work, whether it's in surveys, it changes the nature of the experience for you. And I think that also improves the quality of, of the outcomes. And that's especially true for research. Absolutely. Right. And, and this is not an industry that has embraced the concept of fun very well. So the other day, somebody reminded me, so well, you've been around for decades. And after my original offense, no, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> oh, damn it. They're right. It's, it's decades. Oh my God. It's my 21st yeah. year in the research industry. And, and I don't mean that about it. It's just, I just feel old, but over the years, right, I've certainly seen the evolution of that concept, particularly around gamification. And roughly, gosh, probably 12, 15 years ago, you know, that started to be a buzzword. And to think about that, the responded experience overall. Yeah. And, you know, how do we get folks to, one, just to engage? And without it seeming like this boring, oh, I'm answering a survey. Oh, my God, kill me now, right? Yeah. Uh, but instead, something that is a positive and, and unique experience and one that generates quality insights. And that's been a real challenge. And I think particularly when I think about the gamification trend that started, it was thinking literally of a mobile game. Right? I even had a concept. I called it Brandville. It was like Farmville yeah. from, you know, and it's like, Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> well, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> Perksy 2.0. Uh, yeah, I still have the IP in my head. We can have the yeah. conversation. There we go. But, but the pain in the butt factor 
right, of building something like that and, you know, to make it scalable. Yeah. Those have been the challenges. So so I've seen over the years the idea of right, how do we take the best elements of gamification from a behavioral design perspective? Yes. Yes. And, yes. And make that into a scalable solution. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm impr- I, I love looking at the cool VR stuff, the shelf sets, and you go and you do all that stuff. But, you know, it, 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 it's long and expensive to build. So, yeah. And it's all about scale and speed from a business perspective, from a buyer perspective. So that's my very long way. Tell me about the inspiration for applying those principles in perks. How did you get there to think, yeah, this is what's needed and, and that journey of building it? And what are the use cases that you found that have been most commonly embraced by brands? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's, it's really interesting because like, I guess like the origin story of Perksy and, and your question as to like, you know, what is the main thing that led you to create this? Well, I guess, yeah, of course, th- th- those would be the same things. <laughs> but for me, I was, I was sitting in this Harvard marketing management class. It was like a summer school class. And I was just taking a class in, in July and we were covering the market research component of the class. And when we got to it, the, the kinds of things that we that we were being exposed to in terms of the market research process and the tools that were available, it felt like it just didn't make sense to me for my generation. And that's that's effectively the mobile generation. So I'm a millennial. And for me, I just thought to myself, you know, how are brands actually reaching me? Because I don't think I've ever participated in a survey. I actually don't even think I've gotten an offer to be in a focus group. And I was like, for that entire time, I was like, I've no one's ever asked me if I want to be in a focus group. I want to be in a focus group. I was like, what about these uh, these consumer brands that I love or these clothing brands that I love? Why isn't anyone asking me if I want to participate? And it, it, it took me, so, you know, doing some digging. Once I discovered that brands were like dying to find someone sitting there like me who was like, why, why aren't I being asked? <laughs> I want to participate. You know, I, I realized that there needed to be a solution that attracted consumers and enabled them to show up in a place that was fun, low risk. Like, you know, it's something that's that's mobile. You don't have to go in, in person, even though we do some in-person stuff now, but it's low risk. You can have the app on your phone. It's a great experience and it makes you actually want to participate. That's kind of what I was going after. So I was building a solution for myself and for my peers. And I think that when you do that, it converts better because, you know, know thyself. I mean, if if you spend enough time like knowing what it is that you want, I think you can deliver a solution that, you know, a lot of folks will will probably be able to identify with within, you know, even within your peer group. And then it started to expand from there. So from there, I uh, moved to San Francisco and started building everything out and then really started focusing on the brand platform. But the 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 core of Perksy was really motivated by this need to create something that was fun and engaging and got people to actually show up so that it could be mutually beneficial for both the consumers, the respondent, and for the brand. I think I love that. Yeah. I think that the best use cases are actually, you know, so there's some really interesting ones. I, I think the the most common ones and the ones I find the most interesting aren't aren't necessarily the same. So the most uh, common use case for us is concept testing you know, ad, ad tracking and just general market exploration. I think those are pretty common. We also do a lot of brand tracking now. So we, we launched brand tracking in 
I think it was 2020 and like towards mid 2020, something like that, um, or maybe beginning. And since then, it's just, it's now starting to overtake all our other offerings. My favorite one though, is the in-store feedback loops, because I just, I genuinely believe in capturing sentiment at the moment that it showed, like that it comes into existence. So the second you think something, I like the idea of being able to capture that. And also I really like the use case of being able to use your consumers as your mystery shoppers and just say, hey, like we noticed like you're on the geofence, you just walked into, you know, walked into this Target or walked into this Walmart, you know, walked into the Sephora. We want you to tell us like, what's your experience? Are the bathrooms clean? Like what's your favorite product in here, et cetera. So that's actually my favorite, favorite use case of Perksy. Because it can just go in your pocket, so it's fun. Yeah. Before I started in Green Book stuff, I was trying to launch a company called Brandscan360. Now, it was a stillborn startup, unfortunately. But the, the idea was back in 20, 2007, right, was to have a real-time mobile feedback panel associated with, with brands. We were going to do a few categories, big box retailers, CPG, uh, anyway, right? but have that real-time 360-degree view of the consumer perception based on a point of experience yeah. as well as the, the, the brand. And that's where the, the Brandville idea came off. I was like, yeah, phase two, we're going to yeah. build this game and it'll be all cool. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it wasn't meant to be. So, you know, thank you for, for building that. I know you, <laughs> you didn't yeah. put it out of my brain. I don't mean it that way, but it's cool when you see things that when multiple people recognize there is a business issue and an opportunity here and someone to take it and run with yeah. it and be successful with it. So I love that because I, I recognize the need for a solution like that that is scalable. Yeah. Well, that's what I was actually going to say, Lenny. I was going to say, I mean, you called it early. That means like, you know, I, I always like to say to folks when, when folks are like, oh, I, like one of, one of my investors actually tried to create a similar perks based company. Um, earlier, like much earlier than Perksy. And he said, you know, it just didn't, it didn't work out, blah, blah, But, you know, I really strongly believe in the idea. And, you know, I'd said to him, I was like, you know, it's the attempts. It's like all the folks who have gone after this and tried, it's really just everyone trying at a different point in time. And once the timing is right, then things start to convert. But lots of folks try things. It's like, you can just, you can keep shooting a shot but once the timing is right, then you will score on that. It's yes. just how it goes. Yeah. Uh, and there's another example here in, in Atlanta. There's a company called Webvan, which was an online grocery delivery system that launched in 2005. Right? Yeah. And at the time, it was like, what? Order groceries online? You deliver them? What? And, and they didn't last. Yeah. Right concept. Bad Too time. That, you know, because it just the world wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Yet, right. Yeah. The, uh, the adoption yeah. curve was still too early. And, and I think some, some entrepreneurs don't understand the, the role of luck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause sometimes you're, you know, lots of people have similar ideas. I, I believe now in the kind of the collective unconscious, the zeitgeist, right? This, yes. uh, it seems like all good ideas seem to happen around the same time with multiple people. It's like the universe is planting the seed. Now, all right, now let's see who could pull it off. Right? And, yeah. uh, and part of that pulling it off, it's a combination of, of skill, but also luck, being the, having yeah. the right idea at the right time and the right combination and you know, getting to the traction. It sounds like, and you nailed it. So, uh, Well, thank you. My yeah. mom always says that, um, I think she pulled this quote from somewhere, but that luck is the intersection of opportunity and preparedness. 
And I've always liked that because I, I feel like, you know, I feel like serendipity and I are excellent, like excellent friends. We're just great <laughs> friends. We get along really well. I bump into her on, on the street all the time. And personally, I do genuinely feel that when you are prepared in the right way and an opportunity comes your way, it's a lot easier to capture it versus if you did not do the preparation, if the opportunity came, you might not even recognize it for what it is. So I, I'm a firm, firm believer in that. And I do, I do think that that's what luck is. I think it's just like, whether you call it luck or serendipity or whatever it might be, I do believe in that. And I, I think that, I don't know. And I also think that there's something nice about that. I think it's also important for entrepreneurs to address luck in the process. So many, you know, I've, I've heard this and I'm pretty sure I've heard this in like a Drake song or something like that. What can I say? I'm from Toronto. I'm from Toronto. I cannot be on a podcast without bringing Drake up. If I do not, I'm literally not doing, you know, my duty as a Canadian. So, <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure I've heard this somewhere in a Drake song, but he sort of mentions like, you know, oh, he, this wasn't luck. You know, it's, it's like, this is always meant to be, or like it's destiny and and those kinds of things. And when I think about that, I think it's important to value your own hard work. But I think there's something, there's like a modesty to acknowledging luck. And I think there's also a, a bit of a gratitude with it. It creates this gratitude because when you say like, I was lucky, you sort of begin to have this gratitude for something coming to you and it being something that either changed your life or was of high value or, you know, made a big difference versus saying like, I worked so hard to get here. I'm like, of course. We all work so hard to get here. I also work so hard to get here, but many other people in life have worked just as hard. Do each of us have identical experiences? No. So clearly there isn't sort of a benchmark where it's like, you know, a video game and you're like, worked hard, level one, unlocked. <laughs> Be like, you received funding. <laughs> level two, unlocked. You received happy employees. Like, it's just like, doesn't work like that. It's not like a number of years. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't. So yeah, I think I think the luck thing, I think it's important to acknowledge. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I love that video game. Oh, that's funny. You know, and there's almost a, all right, well, let, let's get a little woo-woo. Um, I don't think we've gone here yet in any of these podcasts. There's almost a spiritual element of that, right? Yeah. I think good things happen to good people who do good things. Yeah, I agree. Right? Mm-hmm. And I know from my own life, there's been times where I wanted something so damn bad, but it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Right? And it's obvious looking back. I mean, even in the stem of like, wow, I'm glad that I didn't pull that off because that would have sucked right? Yeah. now. So I know that there's times that it's an openness. Like if I do the right stuff and you said that, that I love the quote from your mom and be ready for the opportunities and then there's focus, but there's also adaptability. And that is powerfully important because uh, I don't know a single startup that has maintained their vision from the get-go. I think there's a quote from Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth, right? And yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, you know, because you're going to get punched in the mouth when yeah. you're starting a business at, at some level. And you're going to have to pivot and you're going to have to adapt and and sometimes it comes off and sometimes it doesn't. And finding that balance between, I'm trying to think how to actually, how to say this, the, as I understand it, the balance between focus and motivation, that's important. The focus between preparation and skill, that's important. But also between adaptability 
and being open to that, whether we call it luck or we call it the universe yeah. or destiny or fate or divine guidance or whatever the right word yes. is. Right? I don't know what the hell it is, the force, yeah. you know, that just kind of puts you that alignment. And that I look at my life and that is when the most success, not necessarily material success, but sense of satisfaction, of of worth, of purpose, that's when that manifests. That's when that aligns. And I, in, yeah, I don't think we do talk about that enough. Yeah. This actually kind of goes into, I know, something that we, we kind of wanted to talk about today, which is, you know, I think the humanity in business. So this is actually a topic I find the most interesting. This is the one thing that I, I actually, so I did a TEDx talk right before COVID. And I, I was really excited about it. That was actually one of my favorite things because it was content that was not directly related to the company. It was just something I got to talk about that was, you know, for me, which I think is really important for founders to do a lot. But what I decided to talk about was the role of emotions in business, because I think that, you know, I, I think, Lenny, the reason why, you know, some of what you're talking about doesn't, doesn't always show up for folks is because we don't talk about it in business. There's this concept in business as if like even the even the the old you know quote, it's not personal, it's just business. Like that quote, they're like, oh, it's not personal, it's just business. Business is is literally personal. It's extremely personal. It's it's one of the most personal things you'll ever do if you've ever run a company. Like <laughs> it's just <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And I think that for as long as humans have been around, we have been facilitating some type of trade, like we've been doing some type of business in one way or another. And we've been, we've been bartering, you know, we've been figuring out a way to, to work together to ultimately build an economy. And so business has been around for as long as humans have, at least, you know, that's the way I see it. And yet we say that business is not emotional and that there's no role for emotions in business, but human beings are inherently emotional. And human beings conduct business. Ergo, business is emotional as well. And I think what people confuse is this concept of emotional reactivity with emotional, like just just like having emotions. Emotional we, investment. Yeah, exactly. I think that when people think about being like, they're like, oh, being emotional, you mean like outwardly. They're like, oh, you mean like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like there's no role for emotions in business. What they mean is there's no room for, you know, I would say emotional reactivity, which makes a lot of sense. I, I don't think that like you got to keep a, a level head. I, I don't think that there's a role for, you know, blowing up on someone because they, they upset you or, you know, acting out, but there's no, there's really no role for that anywhere. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just, I, I think that's, that's really interesting. And so that kind of goes back to what you were saying sort of this spirituality and this this openness. I think that we don't talk about this enough, but that's an emotional experience. Being open and vulnerable is an emotional experience. And I think it's extremely important. And like you said, whatever it is that you believe, you know, is is guiding that, whether it's, um, you know, a, a God that someone prays to, whether it's the universe, whether, you know, it's the force, like you said, <laughs> or serendipity, my dear friend. So whoever, you know, whoever it might be for you, I think that, I think sitting down and acknowledging that there are things that guide us and that it feels like there are things that guide us. And that when it comes to things like timing, 
I think is important. And it also sometimes separates you from the responsibility sometimes of being a founder. And I think it's good to take a step back and just appreciate and say, some things come my way and some things don't. And I'm grateful for what has. And it's important to express that gratitude. I love that. Now, so I don't think anything that we're talking about right now is exactly on the the notes that we were going to cover. Um, Yeah, we tried. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? It is important from a founder's journey standpoint to, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, emotional doesn't mean reactivity. You're you're right. But there is an emotional investment, period, end of story. You're building something that you love. And if you're lucky, you're building it with people that you love. Yep. And, and therefore that there is an emotional investment and, and there's ups and downs and the ups can be fantastic and the downs can be devastating. So rock hopper, the, the research company that I built in the mid, uh, mid two thousands. Great when, name. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> long story behind that. I won't get into it, <laughs> but the, you know, we had a great business plan of primarily focusing on the financial services industry, which was all great until the recession hit. So, yeah, so those who can't see that Nadia is wearing a Lehman Brothers hat. So, you know, we had built, we were on this ride and built this great team and, you know, I had 20 people and, you know, and they were family, right, we took care of them, right? We were building this great business and we had a culture of family. Oh, that was great until I couldn't pay them anymore because yeah. we didn't have any business because all of our clientele Suddenly, we were either out of business or, you know, dramatically pulling back research and everyone in survival yeah. mode. And, and then with that, that luck idea at the time, right, there was this sense of, oh, my God, I failed. And that's hard. It's hard emotionally to deal with that. Now, looking back, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, almost 13 years ago now, the failure is just as important as the successes from a lesson standpoint. Yes. But there is an emotional element for that. I remember I, the first time I spoke about that publicly at an event in Toronto, the net gain conference that used to happen in there. And I started crying from the podium because I had never talked about that sense of failure before from an entrepreneurial yeah. perspective, right? Yeah. And that sense of failure was because of the sense of responsibility for these people that I thought I had let down, right? Yeah. And it, and what came to me afterwards, like after I was done being, you know, I'm not crying, you know, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm not crying. I'm but, guy. Yeah. <laughs> I have allergies. That's right. That's right. We're in Toronto. What's up with you Canadians? It's the poutine. I'm watching poutine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but was that recognition of, well, you know what, for me individually, I needed to understand that perspective of, the learning of the lessons. And that is part of the entrepreneurial journey. And that's really the point yeah. I was trying to get to. And we learned lots of different lessons. And one of those is, now we'll steer it back to Perksy, is human. We are dealing with humans, and particularly in the research industry, our job is to help enable understanding humans. It's silly to think that we divorce our humanity yeah. from the standpoint, but yet many of our methodologies do that. You yeah. know, they separate the human from each other, right? We, we form this cognitive matrix rather than this, this more fully formed uh, emotional and, and cognitive, this 360-degree view of, of the human to yeah. make a better biz decision. So for Perksy, it sounds like that not only the form factor and the methodology and the approach and the technology and the gamification, those help in, uh, with engagement, 
But do you find that there is a more human element and connection where you're able to get more of that than just the standard kind of cognitive view of, oh, here's my matrix and my grid and, you know. So Lenny, you actually hit the nail right on the head. That's actually exactly it that we feel that we're able to do and something that we feel sets us apart. And one of our, our core company statements, like the first thing I ever wrote down on paper when I decided to start this company and said, I'm going to sit down and decide who we are and what we want to be. The first words I wrote on paper were, we exist to create more human brands. And I think that's still true today in many ways. I'm sure that it can be written in a much nicer way, but right now it's just, it's just short and sweet. We exist to create more human brands. And I feel that the way in which that we connect with consumers, they know that we prioritize them. We've always been very, very good with privacy. So I think that there's a trust there. You know, we, we build our own audience. We never use third-party sample. So it really is our community and we treat it as such. We actually, we don't send out emails. We don't, you know, collect their emails, even though, um, you know, I'm sure they're somewhere there in the platform, but we don't use them. We don't send anything out to them. When the day comes that that we might, we'll ask them, they're our audience. We house them. We make sure that they're having a good time. We give them an experience. We treat them like humans and not numbers. And as a result, I think that the way in which they engage with us is is very human. They tell us the truth. So one of the things I've heard from some of our, our customers has been that the responses that they get on our platform are some of the most like like I've 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 had someone say, like, Nadi, you know, it's kind of crazy, but I feel like the answers we get on your platform are somehow more like honest. And I'm like, really? Like how so? Like how can you tell? Because if you're you know, if you're running research, how, how do you know if it's more honest than, than somewhere else? Like, how would you know if someone's lying or not lying, right? Like, I was just curious to know, you know, no offense to me, but I, wa- I want to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> I'm like, how, how do you know or not know? And she had said, she was like, well, it just feels more raw and real. Like the responses I got here were things that I did not expect to hear about a product or someone using the product. I was surprised that people would admit certain things and they just did. And we'll get the same thing on video when people are like, you know, I, I actually really don't like this. They'll be like, no, I don't think this is this is too great. They don't try to give you these boilerplate answers, but they'll also tell stories. So we encourage that. We're like, if you have, you know, a story to tell about something here, if you have a story to tell about an experience that you've had with this product or something similar, please tell it. And I think as a result, in general, what we end up with are these pretty amazing I don't know, these pretty amazing stories and these things from, from consumers. And one of the partners we work with, so uh, they're, they're one of our customers and, and we absolutely adore them, a company called GoodQuest. And they also think about the human side of research and we love the way that they address it. They do more of like the strategic side and think through you know, how to really design your questions and design your research approach from the beginning such that you get more human answers. And one of the reasons we, we decided to pair up was they felt they're like, you know, your platform just, just brings the most human responses. And, you know, that's kind, of, that's kind of what we do. And that's the thing I'm most proud of too, I will say. Out of everything, like I know there are a lot, you know, I should probably say something else, like, you know, something more official and, <laughs> but that, but I think the, the thing I'm the most proud of is 
that it's real because that's one thing I always wanted to make sure I kept, even as an entrepreneur, like no matter what happens, I, I just want to be able to always walk away and say that I kept the realness. I kept the Toronto realness going, you know? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So now I'm curious, did you see massive growth during 2020 because of the need to understand, to have that real connection with people? Yeah. So we ended up actually tripling our business. So at first we were really nervous, um, of course, as every entrepreneur probably was, the news first hit. And there was, of course, like a two week lull, this like absolute like global paralysis of saying like nothing is yeah. happening anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So I think there was just like a two week look, everyone just like deer in headlights trying to figure out they're like, oh no, what do I do? And then after that, it was amazing because even just, you know, folks had had come back you know, our existing customers just like really doubled down. But one of the things that happened too was we ended up publishing, we immediately like started doing research and publishing it. And it turns out that our data was like very, very accurate. And where we got the biggest like influx of business was in June after it was like other places, uh, like in news outlets ended up publishing data that they had run or that they had collected themselves about what consumers were were considering to be the fear point, like the trigger point during like the beginning phases of COVID, which is once the first sports game got canceled, then they considered it to be real. And we had already published this data and someone like called attention to the fact that we had already published data a long time ago of, you know, the thing that everyone was considering to be like, this, this is the truth. And we got a huge influx of business. But yeah, I, I think during COVID, especially people wanted to connect with consumers and understand what's changing. Like, how are you feeling? What's going on here? And they wanted to understand sort of, I don't know, uh, get to know how people felt a lot more as well. Yeah, agreed. And there's so many companies that I saw the same thing. So the need to, uh, and we were tracking this at the time we were doing these roundtables every week with CEOs when everything first started to try and understand what was happening within the industry. And it was very clear that, yes, there was that, oh, crap, paralysis that everybody went through. And then there was a massive flux to we need to understand from brands. We need to understand what's going on right now. So there is the big folks on speed and scale. And, but those companies that added that human connection, speed and scale. So everything video, right? And video ethnography, uh, online qual, anything that, that allowed people to capture that human element quickly. Yeah. That defined a huge chunk of the year. And then at the end of 2020, and, and I think we've been in this space now since, uh, was all right. Now we learned an awful lot about people that we didn't expect. And about the situation in the world and you know yada 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 now move into the strategy and what's been i was concerned that brands would lose that impetus to engage and understand consumers at a deep level and i haven't seen that happen yet every indication that we see in the data and in the industry and across the board is that brands now recognize that value and are go and are consistently keeping it going like yeah this is yeah. important so companies like perksy that can deliver on that are delivering on a vital need, what, what is now considered a mission critical for many brands to have that human engagement in that human view collectively across the board. And I don't see any signs of it letting up at all because the world's still 
weird and crazy, right? I mean, I'm waiting. When yeah. are the aliens going to land, right? I mean, that's got to be next. Uh, so, <laughs> I would love to have them here. I'm just very curious. I would really appreciate if they would download the Perksy app. <laughs> because I particularly want to conduct research with that segment. So, oh man, I'm literally going to put signs up, like advertisements out in outer space, just like ask if I can just like have them circulate around, being like, if you're reading this, download Perksy. <laughs> 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 so my oldest daughter graduates. She's an anthropology. Her bachelor's is in anthropology. Her master's is in public policy. Anyway, when she was getting her her bachelor's in anthropology, you know, you need to look at anthro, or I'm sorry, exo anthropology. It's coming. It's coming. Aaron is my daughter's name. Like you, yeah. you know, at some point someone's got to be able to, to understand the aliens because they're going to be here. Yes, you'll be in the spot. And she was like, Dad, you're weird. Shut up. And she went. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> We're coming to the top of the hour, and you and I could go on for a really long time. And this is yes, just, just such a joy. So, where are you finding your inspiration lately? What's the thing that you found? Like, man, that that really keeps me going. That I love that. Honestly, so I ended up getting into research like later. I, I wasn't a classically trained researcher. My focus was behavioral science and behavioral design. Those are the things that I loved, but not a classically trained researcher. You know, I didn't didn't work at, at a Brandon research before or at Ipsos or Nielsen or anything like that. But for me, I've always been fascinated by people, why they do the things they do and what drives their behavior. That's been one common thread through every, throughout everything I've done. And so for me, it's actually interesting because I think truly I'm a data collector in this way that there isn't one thing that gives me inspiration my inspiration comes from strings of conversations that I've had. So literally, I derive inspiration from talking to as many people as possible. And what I do is like, it's almost like compound. It compounds daily. If you have enough conversations and you, have, you meet enough people, you have enough conversations with people and you get to know people, you connect with them. There's like a tiny, instead of trying to go after big inspiration, there's like a tiny bit of inspiration you can get from every one of those conversations, it ends up compounding. And so I feel inspired by the, the people that I talk to. I honestly would say that's it. That's my answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. No, you're a dot connector. So yeah, I'm similar. I ingest tons of information because I enjoy whatever weird thing happens in my head of you know, oh, well, that that goes there and that goes there. And oh, that's really interesting. And, and you know, whether it's conversation, whatever the case may be. So I, I get it. I get it. Absolutely. All right. Where can people find you? How can folks connect with you? They can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm not much of a tweeter, but I'm also on Twitter at Nadia Jen Masri. So that's Jen G-E-N, but mostly LinkedIn and at conferences. I mean, I'm, I love doing the conference circuit. So at all the conferences, I think actually that's one ask that I have. That's going to be my ask today, which is, you know, if you're listening to this and you found any bit of this conversation interesting, if you bump into me or spot me at, you know, any of the conferences you have planned, be sure to pull me aside and start a conversation because I'd like to get that little bit of inspiration from you. So you know, let's make a point of getting that and being able to to swap some ideas and walk away inspired. So that's that's my ask for everyone. So if you see me at a conference, pull me aside. And in the meantime, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn name is Nadia Genevieve Masri. 
That's awesome. And so you're going to be at IAX in Austin, right? Yep. All right. Yep. So there we go. And it's only, gosh, a little over a month away. So, yeah. well, I can't wait for you and I to have that opportunity yes. to sit down face to face and maybe, well, I don't know if we'll get inspired, but we'll certainly have some laughs. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely walk around just talking about how the aliens are coming the entire time. And <laughs> like excellent ways to, like, we can just basically formulate our own, like, like alien research yes. company. Yes. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> and, and that is a particularly appropriate topic in Austin. So, yes. right. Yeah. I'm talking about keep Austin weird, right? That's, yeah, exactly. That, so, Be like yeah. Alien Qual by Lenny Murphy and Nadia <laughs> Mastery. <laughs> Man, you know, I can't wait. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Nadia, it's been great. Thank you so much for spending time with us, with our audience. And on that note, we will shut this down. Thank you, everybody. Until the next time, this is Lenny Murphy signing off. Bye bye. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.